0: Good morning, all. Nice to have everybody. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, welcome. This last uh, couple sermons, we've just been going over different types of leadership to just sort of briefly summarize and catch everybody up that hasn't been here. But um, we're talking about modeling our types of leadership off of the kind of leadership that we see from our God, existing in three persons in Trinitarian form, each fulfilling a specific role, you know, and so we've been talking about how in the Father you can see a visionary type of leadership that some of us are called to from time to time or on a regular basis, where we have to step up and God is communicating through us some sort of will or goal or vision of how things should be, how he wants them to be, and our job in that body as a person that's been given that particular vision of something is to step up and contribute that to his body so that it functions and forms to how he would have his purpose be for this particular body as we're functioning. And then we talked about, then we talked about the Holy Spirit, how his role in terms of exampling a type of leadership for us is for the organizational type of leadership is really what stands out about him, that his job is to coordinate all of the individual pieces so that they line up, so that they align like the, like the you know, poles of that piece of metal or whatever that we had our demonstration on last week in terms of um, aligning the purpose of everything so that they all work together to accomplish a purpose. This time, last but not least, we're going to talk about the third person in that Trinitarian relationship, Jesus Christ. But let's start with the old school testimony for him, right? So we're going to read from Ezekiel chapter 34 to start out, starting in verse 1. Then this message came to me from the Lord, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak, you have not tended the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, (coughs) hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, You abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies, and I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock, and I will stop them From feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. Keep that in mind. That dark and cloudy day thing too very interesting. We're going to skip down to verse 23 at that point. I Oh, sorry, we're going to continue first. Uh, verse 13. And I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. They will lie down in pleasant places and feed in my lust pastures in the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who have strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. And continuing to verse 23, jumping a little bit down, and I will set over them one shepherd. My servant David, he will feed them, he will feed his people and be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. My servant David will be a prince among the people. I don't know how much you guys know about the book of Ezekiel, but it was written in about 600 B.C., that God would replace all of his shepherds that have been failing, and he would send a single shepherd, his man David. But Ezekiel is written in 600 B.C. David lived and died around 1,000 B.C. And how B.C. works is they're reversed, right? So 1,000 is like 400 years before 600. So at the time of this writing, David was long gone. Everybody knew that. This is about the Messiah who would claim the bloodline and the throne of David. That's what Ezekiel's talking about. His one shepherd. That's the type of leadership we're going to be talking about today is the shepherding type of leadership. That individual caring for each one, seeking the lost, coming and finding them. That's the type of leadership that we're focusing on today. That was prophesied about in the book of Isaiah. An example from both God and man. God coming to us in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. But it's also interesting, just as a sort of a side note, but rescuing them on a cloudy and dark day that this shepherd would be coming, that I said, keep that in mind. If you recall, that's the scene that was set at the crucifixion, right? At the ultimate scene of rescue. That's what was happening. It's very specific in this prophecy and almost random but it's not random, because God is not a God of randomness, but he has a specific design for us that we're to follow. And as disciples of Christ, we're going to be discipling his shepherding type of leadership today. So let's check out a few samples of how a shepherd really leads from God's perspective. We see that Jesus was chosen to be our true shepherd. He embraces that title for himself, too. It's not just the prophets that are speaking about him and then he came onto the scene and just sort of fit, but he fully owned that role. In John 10, verse 1 to 18, we see that going on. So turn with me to John chapter 10. I tell you the truth. "'Anyone who sneaks over a wall of a sheepfold "'rather than going through the gate "'must surely be a thief and a robber, "'but the one who enters through the gate "'is the shepherd of the sheep. "'The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, "'and the sheep recognize his voice, "'and they come to him. "'He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. "'After he's gathered his own flock, "'he walks ahead of them, "'and they follow him because they know his voice. "'They will not follow a stranger. "'They will run from him because they don't know his voice.' Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. And so he explained to them, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. Like that Ezekiel passage was talking about. But, ultimately the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheep fold, and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Good, strong passage about shepherding. Twice in that passage, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And each time it's coupled with a specific reason why he's good. He sacrifices his life for his sheep, we say. Also, he knows each sheep specifically and has a relationship with each one. So he calls them by name, and to most people, all sheep look pretty much the same. You know, they're little fluffy, fuzzy little suckers, maybe have random blotches of color, and it all just kind of blends in, especially when there's, you know, a ton of them together, a hundred or a thousand sheep. But the good shepherd can tell all the small differences. People are like sheep in this way. We're all pretty much the same in terms of our basic tendencies and and whatever. That's why there's that interesting and pop-culturally popular career of profiling, right? Because it works. Like, people are all the same in many, many ways. But the caretaker of the sheep knows all those minute differences how they're uniquely productive, also uniquely troublemakers, also uniquely sinful, if you will. Not that that necessarily applies to sheep, but it does apply to us. He knows how they're uniquely sinful. The shepherd knows that little Dolly, for example, has a tendency to sneak out of the gate at night, you know, because you're skinny enough, you can squeeze through that one little weakness in the fence. Good shepherd knows that. Or momentary weaknesses. Right? This means being able to identify a sick or injured sheep or a lamb amongst a thousand of them, being able to pick out you know, what does it look like when one of these sheep is having a, a particular trouble, you know? and then being able to address that within a giant multitude of sheep. Those are the things that a good shepherd is adept at doing. The sheep respond to his voice in part because of that, because they trust him, because he has that um, ability to identify them and know them and protect them at all costs. The shepherd doesn't just sacrifice his life for them, though, right, in terms of how we see Jesus sacrificing his life in that culminating moment, but we see a full-time sacrifice, right? A good shepherd doesn't put in an eight-hour workday. That's not the shepherd life. The shepherd life is putting in The 14, 15 hour work day, you know, from the first sheep up and the trying to get out and the last sheep down and safe in the pen. It's not just the side gig like having a fence full of chickens or something that you, you know, have a little fence up and you can basically just like throw food at them or or whatever. It's not like that. It's more of a full time intense situation. And you have to know them and love them with dedication and investment is how the good shepherd does that, we see presented. Ready at all hours of the day for danger, to keep the wolves away, to make sure that none of the sheep are injured and need immediate help, and all those things, but also for support and love, right? A good shepherd comes in and is present for the birth of the baby lambs, for example, that kind of thing is beautiful and it creates an attachment between the shepherd and the sheep and he knows them from birth. That's why they call he, they come to him when he calls by his voice, like they've known him from the start and he has a good rapport and track record with them with dedication and investment. But also in that process, there's perilous times, right? Just like people, sheep are not always born, you know, out the out the water slide and good and ready to have a good time. Sometimes they come upside down and sideways and there's a risk to the mother and there's a risk to the baby and there's cord umbilical cord issues and all those things and the shepherd has to get down and dirty with it, you know? And they're invested in that. And when they lose a sheep, they cry and it's some of the saddest parts of their life, you know, aside from losing family and stuff. Like these sheep are their family. They're more than just the fluffy wool that they get at the end of the day or maybe the milk that they use for supplementing or whatever. But they're family. This deal that John's talking about or that Jesus is talking about in the book of John, it's relational care and it's salvation at the same time. It's a double-edged metaphor. It's not just... The good shepherd is there to take care of the sheep and know them and stuff like that, but it does have an element of salvation to it. And where does that salvation come? I would submit to you that it comes even before the caretaking of that sheep in terms of our processing of it. What did Jesus say before the whole good shepherd spiel? Well, he made the declaration that he was the sheep's gate. He was the gate to the sheep. What does that mean? Well, Jesus explains in verse 9, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures, as opposed to those whose purpose it is to steal and kill and destroy. This is how we operate by our our sin-inspired instinct, though, right? By what we're taught in social contract and capitalism the you know look out for yourself first before other people make sure that you're investing in yourself so that you can help others and all these things using people like setting you up for situations or good old-fashioned selfishness you know we all have a tendency but the good shepherd saves first even before he mentions knowing the sheep or laying down his life for the sheep first he is the gate the sheep must come in through him the sheep must make it to safety through him the gate and into his sheep's pen where there's protection. It's a mean, mean world out there and there isn't safety in that. Many of us know it personally, many of us know it by people that we've had the honor of helping, many of us know it from family members and people we've heard of or whatever, but everybody knows it's true. The world is not a good place out there Knowing that safety lies only on the other side of the shepherd's gate. That's one of the first things that needs to be known about the shepherd, about that type of leading. That it's not, you don't go straight to knowing the sheep. When there's a sheep that's not outside the gate or whatever, you maybe you just purchased this sheep, say, with the blood of Christ. You know? That sheep first needs to come through that gate, into the sheepfold, where the other sheep are, where there's protection, where God set up those mechanisms for them to be supported and protected in that communal relationship. So what's the first priority in our relationships, we should ask, you know, about that? We can talk about shepherding and all those things, but let's just take a second. What's our first priority in our relationships with people? Is it to be friends when you first meet a person that you want to, you know get buddy-buddy and know them? Or is it to try to lead them? Or is your mindset that it's to identify the real danger in that person's life and bring them into the only real safe place that's out there? The place that you go each night after you're done grazing and doing the work of the farm and getting sheared and whatever you want to use in the sheep analogy, you know? The place that you go each night, that's the place that you need to show that person first and foremost before knowing the sheep comes into the thing, before tending to the sheep comes into the thing. Safety. And that's what Christ provides first. He is the gate. Jesus was chosen to be the good shepherd by the Father. But we can also get a good piece of the picture from another legit shepherd. That God has chosen. In Psalm 78, which is a psalm of Asaph, I believe, he says in verse 71 He, meaning God, took David from tending the ewes and lambs and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people Israel. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. We just worshiped with a song today talking about the kindred heart of David because David had a special relationship with God God understood that there was something special about David's heart that he knew him that he knew Christ the character of Christ the shepherd of Christ even before he was a person on this earth and through David we have a lot of insight as to who Christ was going to be you know, when he came to the earth. And even now we can learn about Jesus through David's kindred heart. David saw fit to worship God with this metaphor of being a shepherd. So let's hear from him too. In Psalm chapter 23, it's all about that. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows and leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength, he guides me along the right paths. Bringing honor to his name, even when I walk through the darkest valley, or the valley of the shadow of death, as it's more dramatically and even pretty accurately put. I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will forever live in the house of the Lord. In that, right off the bat, in verse 1, we learn that a huge part of God as his shepherd, as his shepherd type of leader, David says that God has given him all that he needs. We see that this really matches with Christ as we see him on earth. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He says, I'm all that is needed here. This has you covered from start to finish. You don't need what the world offers. But in this sheepfold, you're provided for. In verse 2, he says, David says, He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. So another huge aspect of who God the shepherd is to David is that he allows him rest and gives that to him in these places where he's provided him. The sheep, what the sheep does is it goes out and it grazes and it gets full and then it lays down in the pasture and it takes a rest. David's saying that this is who God is In his experience with him, is that God allows him to have all the things that he needs. God allows him a time to rest in that. Verse 3 He renews my strength, He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. In Matthew chapter 11, we see another parallel from Jesus. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. He renews our strength that our burdens don't feel so heavy. You know, he guides us and teaches us so that we're along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. In verse 4, David says... Even when I walk through the darkest valley of death, I will not be afraid. Back to John chapter 10. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. David wasn't afraid of being snatched away and conquered. He was secure in the eternal relationship that he knew God had with him. There's no reason for fear. And the same guy, John, in 1 John chapter 4, tells them and records that perfect love expels all fear. And that's exemplified in the life of Jesus. That's one of my favorite phrases in Scripture is perfect love expels all fear. Even the shepherd boy David always had a sense of God's protection, right? His heart. As God loved him and stood for him. He understood that deeply. That's why he stood alone before Goliath in between two nations, you know, but with shepherd's tools, not with a sword and a spear and a shield, even in the shadow, the big, giant, nine-foot-tall shadow of death. Which brings us to the last thing we'll discuss in this passage, verse 4. He says, For you are close beside me, why don't fear. David knew that God loved him and trusted in his protection, but even more, he thought of God as his shepherd, as being close beside him. You know? David wasn't like Moses, who got to see God face to face, but he knew that God was close beside him, and he lived like that, and he lived boldly. That's what a good shepherd does, is he is able to lead his sheep through the darkest valley, understanding that God will protect him even in that shadow, that he's safe, he's eternally safe, and even trust that God will take care of him as he's doing the right thing, taking care of his sheep individually, leading them to where they need to graze, in that grass that's in that valley that's maybe being threatened by enemies or whatever the circumstance was. You know, back in the day, things weren't government regulated and there weren't all these rules and protections and stuff. And if you and your sheep were out grazing, a band of marauders, let's call them, I guess, could 100% come and kill the shepherd, take the sheep, whatever. But the shepherd isn't afraid of that. They make wise decisions. They lead the sheep in the right direction, so on and so forth, but they lay down their life for the sheep. In Matthew 28, the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples after he gives them the Great Commission, says, go and make disciples of all the nations, right before he ascends. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. In his... Apostles and disciples took that seriously, took that to their deaths, and did not see any sort of contradiction in that message because that's what we do. That's who Christ was as our shepherd, willing to lay down his life throughout the entirety of his life and to the end of it, knowing that God would let him take his life back up again. That's what made him a good shepherd. He was fearless in that. And that's what made David a good shepherd of his sheep when he was a kid and of his people Israel when he was older. So what really makes you a shepherd leader in a nutshell is the question. What do we take from some of this stuff? We can't cover it all, but we can take some of it. So looking to get a person to safety first is something that we can take from that. Attune your attention to that individual's urgent needs, you know? When you come across a person, what exactly is that going on for them? That's not a mechanical thing going on, right? That's taking an interest in the unique and significant value of that person in the image of God, that God wants them. He has paid the ransom in his blood for that life and that life needs to be brought into the sheepfold to be protected through the gate of Christ. That's the first thing. What's your perspective on that? We've got to get them in the pen. We've got to round up that lost sheep. You know? Then, a good shepherd gives individual-based attention to people. Like Jesus hears and addresses and connects with the individual that we see with him throughout the, throughout the Gospels. A simple example of that, I believe, is in, I think it's Luke, chapter 6, where Jesus is in the temple, surrounded by, you know, regular people and Pharisees, leaders that are trying to judge him. It's the Sabbath, there's a dude with a crippled hand, he's like, I'm going to heal this person's hand, but everybody else is judging him for that, waiting to condemn him because he's working on the Sabbath, right, which is not a good thing. What Jesus does in that situation is he takes a look at every single person around that's watching him that's judging him. He takes a close look at them and he weighs it and he says, "What's up with these people? What's going on with their hearts?" And then he heals that hand. He could have done it next day. He could have been like, "Yo, dude with crippled hand, meet me at Solomon's colonnade, you know, tomorrow." High noon, and I'll heal that hand, and we'll be all good. But it's what those people needed to see in that moment, and he looked at every single one before he did that. Jesus taught in big groups, but he always addressed the individual. Or how Jesus speaks to the heart of a person. Um, like, let's see. One day, an expert of religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, you are exactly right. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus further, and who is my neighbor? He was trying to minimize responsibility. He had a hard heart. He he just wanted to make sure that he had, you know, the minimum requirements covered so he could check that box. And so Jesus tells the Good Samaritan parable, right, where you've got the three people that come by, the couple people from, you know, the Jewish temple and stuff, and they pass by the guy that needs help. And the third person's a Samaritan, a person that all the Jews despise, all these people that he's talking to despise. And he makes the Pharisees identify with their enemy, right? Because it's their enemy that stopped and helped the person, and they had to admit, yes, that it was the Samaritan that had to be a good neighbor. And instead of figuring out who his neighbors were, like that teacher wanted, Jesus leads him To what being a neighbor really looks like as a choice of the heart, not of his circumstance of who his neighbor is, but how do you be a good neighbor? You know, he addressed the heart of that person, not the box they set up, the circumstance that they wanted to discuss. But he said, this individual has an issue not with knowing the law, but with understanding the heart of God. And that's what he set up for them as a shepherd leader. He learned the strong and weak points of fellow believers, you know? He picked people, he grew them, and whatever, but at the same time, he would be able to look out and see the sinful hearts of people, and he understood and was able to speak to those we have to do the same kind of thing. We have to learn the strong and weak points of fellow believers and speak to the heart of those people as we're shepherd-type leaders and being ready to sacrifice our life for those people. And it's one thing to say that I'm willing to sacrifice my life for a person physically. In my opinion, that's That's hard, and you never know until you're in that situation, you know, whether you are going to do that or not, I guess. It's one of those things. Um, There's ways that we should be confident in our ability to do that, but I would submit to you that the harder version of sacrificing your life is putting in those long shepherding hours, the consistent time that it takes, the small decisions that nobody's going to notice. You know, the small things that only God notices because he's in you. The shepherd feeds and provides for others consistently and watches out for their needs. They make sure some pleasant rest even is provided in those people. You can't just slave labor people. We don't work like that. We're not designed like that. (laughs) God rested on the seventh day sorry just a lonely island song came to mind in that for the eighth day Um, but God rested on the seventh day and that is his design for us that we can rest and appreciate him appreciate what the shepherd's done for us in the food and the environment that he's put us in and that we can lay down in that pasture and revel in that and revel in God's glory so as shepherd leaders, we need to figure out how to, make, how to make sure that people are also rested to a reasonable extent. And then strengthen and support and guide each one through life or through the shadow of death without fear and reminding them that God is with them. Making sure to couple relational care with making sure that they're safe and saved in that pen of sheep. So, one of the differences between this week and the last couple weeks is that the last couple weeks we've been talking about vision and organization, and that not everybody is gifted with those things, not everybody is called to those things uh, consistently, although I think I made it clear that every person can be called to that in a particular situation that God may lay on your heart, that something needs to be organized differently a certain way, and that's what you're supposed to bring to it, or that you have a vision or a goal that is for the glory of God and the building up of his body and so on and so forth, and you're the person that is supposed to present that, even though you're not normally that person. It's possible in those things that you would rarely encounter those situations even. As far as a shepherding type of leader goes, everyone is called to have a little shepherd in us. Right? And that's because Christ is our example of a shepherd type leader. And we're all disciples of Christ, following his commands, following his example of how to be a leader. It's a personal type of leadership and a personal type of sacrifice. Being a shepherd has never been a glamorous career, you know, and we all need to come to grips with that. It's been among the least glamorous, you know, the most shameful of careers. They've even tried to change the name of it and, you know, like PR it up, like making it sound better than it is with a uh, flock owner or, you know, landowner or something like that. But a shepherd is what it is, and the last will be first in God's kingdom, and so we can't be ashamed of that in any sort of way ministering to who we perceive as the lowest or who we perceive as the highest so we need to act on that fact that every individual matters to the shepherd type leader that every little injury needs to be watched out for every little opportunity to be involved in a birth of something whether that's a person or a skill and a contribution that somebody is developing to give to the body, a shepherd leader is invested in each one of those things. And of course, we need to give credence to the fact that the shepherd became a sheep. Right? Each one of us has our time as a sheep, has our role as a sheep, including our God, even. Verse 7 of Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Jesus Christ lowered himself all the way down as far as possible so that he might lead as a worthy shepherd in God's eyes as a compassionate and understanding shepherd to the rest of his sheep to the rest of his body from among his people to each one so we ought to do the same each and every one of us so let's go and talk about some questions now and discuss those in our cell group how do you intentfully minister to the individual how do you intentfully minister to the individual? Not just your, through your corporate job, corporate meaning like large group targeting. Like a lot of us, even in the church, you know, we have roles where it's our job to take care of you know X, Y, and Z and um, organize things or organize people or do a mechanical job or whatever. But how do you minister to the individual, not just through your corporate job? What traits of a shepherd are you best and worst at? You know? What kinds of things does God want us to do as a shepherd of people, as that type of individual leader, one-on-one? What are we best and worst at? How can we identify our own weaknesses in that and be able to strengthen those and study those and be able to learn from Scripture? And then who's a specific person in your purview who could use your care? You know? Just those relevant individual shepherd mentality questions. Who's a specific person that's in your wheelhouse who could use your care that you could do more for, that they could have more attention, that you can seek to understand them better? Or even if you're at that beginning stage potentially with them show them where the gate is you know how do you get to the feed and trough okay let's go discuss